Thank you. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, um, tonight I want to talk a little bit more, I guess, about shaping our world. That's shaping our world very much. And uh, how many know we're living in a world that desperately needs to be shaped after... Uh, after the, the, the order or the manner, I, I just suggest that, uh, that Jesus teaches. Uh, we're living in a society that's losing its shape. Um, I found out the other day that if you apply to go and study in, in, in some of the major league universities in the world, um, Princeton, for, for example, uh, you, it, when you state your gender, you have a choice of six. Um, Male or female would be two of the six, obviously, but then you have choice of four other in terms of de declaring what kind of gender you are. Now, what I find so remarkable about that, and we could obviously talk more and more about um, the direction the world is, is headed in, is that... Uh, you know, we seem to worship at the feet of science. You know, the science says this and the science says that. And, and uh, you know, we don't want superstition or we don't want religion because today we worship science. And yet science is clear. There are X and Y chromosomes that determine male and female. Boys and girls are clearly different. This is a physiological, sociological, scientific fact and yet now of course we've separated the whole idea that you don't necessarily have to be the gender that your sex is and and uh, we're coming up with these these crazy crazy thoughts and we, we all this is going to do for us by the way is create a greater opportunity for the for the church of Jesus Christ to shine brighter in the midst of greater darkness so I, I'm not discouraged by that the opposite I'm actually encouraged by that and uh, see that the greatest day of the church in in this nation is still ahead as it loses its Christianity in terms of its uh, its cultural foundations then we become a little bit on the outer well you need to know the church has always been its most powerful when it's a little bit on the outer and uh and so i don't i don't say these things in a sense of defeatism or in a sense of oh well you know uh, let's all give up in fact the reverse right i think the darker society becomes the the, the brighter the church can shine and uh and the more opportunity we have to shape the world after the likeness of uh of jesus christ and perhaps we've, we've ever had before and to that end i believe paul writes this and i want to talk to you a little bit about this it's our vision offering day and that this whole thing works together from second uh, corinthians chapter 9 we look at chapter 8 this morning but chapter 9 of second corinthians says this remember this and if you're interested in, in shaping your world you want to you want to listen to this right this is this is uh revolutionary he says whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly but whoever sows generously will also reap generously and i want to stop there and just to just camp out on that thought for a moment this is an agricultural society uh, much of this culture derived their livelihood from farming crops so they they understood the whole idea of sowing and reaping uh, many of course in in our civilization today we've never possibly planted a seed and, and ever harvested fruit from it in their lives but these people this was second nature to them uh, this was an agricultural society that was very much kind of you know living from one season to the next you sowed in this season and you hung out to the harvest that was coming the harvest came you brought that in and that sustained you through to the next season and, and what that meant was you were very diligent about your sowing when harvest, when um, sowing season was, was uh, in full swing, 
You'd be diligent about what you were going to do. It wouldn't be haphazard because you knew full well that if you sowed a hectare now, you're going to reap a hectare later, right? You weren't going to just go, oh, well, whatever happens now, we'll see what happens. There was a direction, there was a, a positivity, there was a distinct discipline about it. Now, um, interestingly, that Paul's about to take this idea, this metaphor of sowing reaping, and bring it into something that you and I perhaps do understand. And everybody in this room has got a wallet and a bank account and understands finance. And what he does is rather bizarre. He takes the idea of a seed, which is you know, a living kind of an entity. You put it in and it grows. Uh, and he equates that with your money, your finance. And, and he's, he's taking the same idea. It's funny, you know, when a, when a farmer sows a seed, the farmer doesn't consider that seed as lost. He knows where it is. It's in his um, property, his field. He just doesn't go and sow it out to the wind or throw it along the, the, the roadway. He sows it in his field. He knows where it is. He doesn't consider it loss. And he knows it's going to bring an increase. And yet many people can't get that notion into their head it's a it's a counterintuitive notion it's a huge idea i understand and and i'm not being critical when i say many don't get it because it's so so uh complicated to get that my money my finance i can give it and i haven't lost it it's still in my field as it were it's still in a sense alive on my ledger i've just put it over here for a season um And he goes on and he challenges us on that premise. He says, therefore, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So what he's saying here is that you're to treat your finance, your money in a very serious way. And you need to think about what percentage of it you are going to give. And you do it. Not reluctantly, he says, not under compulsion. So not from external pressure. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves somebody who gives from their heart, somebody who wants to do it. So that leads me to the question, how much should I give? How much should I give? What's the the amount that's right for me? Now, I mentioned this morning that Jesus spoke, you know, very briefly about tithing. He gave it a bit of a tick, but... In the New Testament, whatever's in the Old Testament is always taken to a, a higher level. Uh, clearly, I can tell you how much you are to give. You are to change your lifestyle and you are to give something that represents sacrifice. If all you do is give out of your surplus, in other words, if you don't live differently so you can give, then you're not giving enough. If you don't live differently so you can give, you are not giving enough. I saw during the week... Um, that uh, there is this idea out there now called the 5-2 budget. Who's heard of the 5-2 diet? Hands up, heard of the 5-2 diet? Anybody? Yeah, about six of us. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's seven of us. Great. The 5-2 diet goes something like this. You, you uh, eat for five days, you know, pretty much what you want. And for two days, you minimize your calories. Almost you, you might eat nothing, but if you eat something, it's very, very minimal. But they're now taking that idea and they're saying, well, you need to live like that with your finances. In other words, five days you might be able to spend, but for at least two days a week, you don't spend any money at all. And I, I saw them interviewing some people and they were saying uh, how much now they're tracking their spending and how much money that they're actually wasting. Now, these are, you know, these are battlers. These aren't people with a lot of money. But the truth is, we tend to live pretty sloppy when it comes 
to our finances. I, I want to give you a template, all right? And, and, and man, write this down, okay? If you forget everything else I say tonight, remember this. This will change your life. This will change your life. This is the way to live. Give, save, live on the rest. We're going to say it together. Give, save, live on the rest. One more time. Give, save, live on the rest. Now, to put that into some kind of perspective, and you know, I don't want to sort of, you know, um, I don't know, brag or anything, but, but I've lived like this since I was 12 years of age. By the time I finished grade 11, I had 10 grand in the bank. Now, if you equate that to today, you probably times that by 10. Uh, because I was taught to give, save, and live on the rest. Give, save, and live on the rest. So it affected my life that within five years, my bank account was, was, was booming. And before I left school, I had enough to basically put a 25% deposit on a house. <laughs> give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. If you forget anything else I say over the next 20 minutes, get that in your head and let that be the template that determines the way you live financially for the rest of your life. Give, save, live on the rest. If you can develop that, particularly if you're young and you can develop that, and you can make a lifestyle out of that, you'll get to a point in your life where you have a, a freedom that the rest of the world will look and go, man, how can you afford this? How can you afford that? Are you rich or something? No, you've just lived your whole life. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. You develop that and you will become somebody who has great liberty and freedom when it comes um, to finance. Uh, when it comes to giving, you see, see, unfortunately, I say give, save, live, through. Unfortunately, it goes like this for a lot of people. Spend, so, save, and then if there any left over, maybe I'll give. You know, if I get a, a knock on the door, if the Red Cross guy, you know, puts his little thing on me getting off the train, I've got a spare bob in my pocket, a spare dollar or something, I'll put that in there. That's how a lot of people approach giving. We need a systematic thoughtful approach the farmer is systematic and thoughtful about his sowing and, and it's reasonable isn't it i mean if you came to my place for dinner right let's just say you came to our place for dinner and we're having you for a meal how would you feel if my wife and i got our meals ate our food filled ourselves up to the point we couldn't eat anymore scraped what was left onto a plate and then gave you that plate how would you feel that would be dishonoring you, wouldn't it? That would be dishonoring ourselves, actually. Uh, you don't treat... Has anyone ever been to somebody's house and they've done that? And yet, yet, you know something? That's how we treat God. That's how we treated our dog, actually. We used to treat our dog like that. We would eat, then we'd scrape all the leftovers onto a plate, and then we'd scrape that into the dog bowl. Right? Did you know some people treat God like a dog? They're dyslexic. They've got it around the wrong way. Ugh, anyway. <laughs> you... you you don't give God from the leftovers. You give your dog from the leftovers. But with God, you give first. Give, save, live on the rest. You need to be thoughtful about this. I, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this in Collingwood Park. This, it, uh, this morning I mentioned the fact that, that the whole idea of greed, right? Give, save, live on the rest, that will govern the greed in your heart. Because society is predicated on the greed 
of the heart of man. Now, I, I will define greed for you because nobody in this room is greedy, right? Nobody anywhere is greedy by self-definition uh, because nobody thinks they're greedy, right? Everybody, he's greedy, she's greedy, but I'm not greedy. I've never met a man or a woman who thinks they're greedy. As a matter of fact, if I ran a thing called Greedies Anonymous, I could run Alcoholics Anonymous and get people because there are people out there who have alcoholic problems. Um, I could run a drug rehabilitation center and I could get drug addicts along because people who are addicted to drugs acknowledge it. But if I ran Greedies Anonymous, right, who do you reckon I'd get? Anybody? <laughs> do you know anybody would turn up to Greedies Anonymous? Oh man, I got a greed problem, you know. Um, it wasn't that long ago we were living under the idea that greed is good. Let me define greed for you. Okay, so because nobody's greedy because you've got, got no template, right? Everything you want, every way you behave, it's all justified. But, but here's greed greed is not the desire for more. Greed is not the heart that says, I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have. Greed is the heart that says, Everything I have is for me, right? That's how you know you're greedy. Greedy is not the spirit that says, I've got to have more. Greedy is the heart that says, everything that I have is for me. I, I love the way the Amplified puts this one verse. It says, let each one give thoughtfully, there's our word, and with purpose, just as he decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his giving. Is anybody in this room seriously seriously love giving more than you love going to the Eka or more than you love Christmas or more uh, this this whole idea of oh wow I just can't wait to give man I can't wait for the offering plate to come around I can't wait for that opportunity I just got my money in my hand it's, it's like it's burning a hole in man I just want to give it away hands up if that's your attitude okay so does God not love us? <laughs> it says here, God loves a cheerful giver. I, I want to give you three quick thoughts tonight that are going to help you be a cheerful giver. Because by, by almost you know, self-declaration, no one in the room has said they're a cheerful giver. <laughs> and I think it's something that many of us struggle with. And the reason we struggle with it is, is, is fundamentally our outlook. It's our understanding. So in this passage we see some incredible truths that will help you if you can imbibe this, right? If, if you go, okay, I'm going to buy this, right? I'm going to buy into it. If you, can, if you can buy into this, this could change not only your life, this could change not just your world, but the world. If you can buy into what I'm about to say, this will change not just your life, not just your world, but this could actually help shape the world. Let me give you three quick things. Number one, Number one, see all you have as a gift. Everything that you have is a gift from God. If you think that, well, you know, my hard earned, you know, you often hear that phrase, my hard earned, I worked hard for this. If you think that, then to separate it is never going to be easy. But if you realize it's not your hard earned at all, it's God's grace to your life, your intelligence, your, your energy, you know, let, let's be honest, folks, you didn't choose to live in Australia. In the 21st century you've won the lotto simply by living here by being here tonight you've won the lotto if you lived 
let's just say, I don't know, in the 13th century <laughs> in, in, in China, uh, it wouldn't matter how hard you work, you wouldn't have what you have. You have what you have by the grace of God. And we've got to get that into our heads, right? This is tough because we're taught, you know, since we're this high, you know, work hard, you know, work hard and earn, work hard, work hard, work hard. And so we work hard and we, we buy into the notion that says, well, this is my hard earn. And to turn that around, it's interesting. I find God knew this was going to happen to you and you was going to happen to me. He knew what was going to happen to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. No matter how hard they worked in Egypt, they were still slaves, right? No matter how smart they were, no matter how clever they, they, they you know, worked the market, they were never going to be anything but slaves. God takes them out of Egypt into the promised land, and he knows something. Now they have liberty. Now they have a thing called freedom, something that many of us take for granted here. We have freedom. And with freedom comes opportunity. And with opportunity comes increase. And God knew that they would grab that opportunity, grab that increase, and ascribe it to themselves. That's why he said in Deuteronomy 26, 5, says this, Then you shall declare before the Lord your God before you give the offering. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and lived there before. Uh, became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So God brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders, and brought us to a place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil to you. Every time they gave, they had to say this. I mean, that's a mouthful. <laughs> I couldn't remember it. I'd have to read that. Uh, now I bring my first fruits um, to you, the Lord, that the Lord has given me, place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. We're going to do this in a few moments' time. This is First Fruit Sunday. This is our vision offering. And we've got these baskets here. We're going to put them here. And just a few moments' time, I'm going to invite you to come forward and give an offering. And I'm going to invite you to do what God told his people to do thousands of years ago because he knew that they would finish up just like you and I in this idea that said, I've done all this myself. And what they had to do was they had to connect their giving to their salvation. Connect their giving to their salvation. I give because I've been delivered. I give because I've been set free. I give because I have freedom, not by my own hand, but by the hand of God. And you've got to believe it. It's, it's got to get from here to here, you know? And how does it make that little 12-inch journey or that, that little, uh, you know, 30-centimeter journey or whatever? It makes it through, I think, you've got a rep repetition, just constantly bringing yourself to this point, constantly bringing yourself to the point, connecting you're giving to your salvation. Number one. Number two, he goes on and says this. God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things at all time, having all you need, you are bound to every good work. For as it is written, now he quotes here, Psalm 112 and verse 9. You've got to get this. This will change your life if you can get this. Psalm 112 and verse 9, he quotes. For they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness will endure 
forever. They were freely given. Now, he continues the metaphor of sowing and reaping here, and I want you to see how it works, right? What does righteousness mean to start with? What does he mean by giving and inheriting righteousness? Many of you in the room probably get this wrong. You know, I hate to say, most of us would think righteousness, or that means, you know, piousness, um, you know, uh, not doing the wrong thing, you know, being a a really goody-goody type of a person, you know, having it, you know, uh, not, 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 you know, doing all the all bad things, that, that kind of thing. Uh, that's not what that word means, by the way. Um, this, is not, this is not a New Testament word. It's an Old Testament word. And in actual fact, what it means is rightness of standing. In other words, what it means is this, that if you give, this is what you will um, inherit. This is what you will reap. Interestingly, um, and, and you know, many people have preached over the years, and, and there is some truth in this, by the way, that give, you know, you give money, you get more money, you give money, you get more money, you give, more, you give money, you get more money. That's actually diverting from the integrity of the metaphor, and I'll explain why. Because if you sow seed, you don't reap seed, do you? If you sow seed, you reap fruit. So, so you sow seed, you don't go out and expect seed to come in. You sow seed... You go out and you expect something of greater substance than seed. And, and there's a whole bunch of people who are sowing. You know, you sow money. Okay, I need some more money. So I sow some money, I'll get more money. And, the, 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 you know, that can, that can lead into the greed thing still operating. And there is some truth in the fact that if you can be, um, uh, if you can be trustworthy in small, God will make you trustworthy in, in more. So there is a sense in which as you handle something small well, God will increase on your life what is there so you know that interpretation of this there is some credence to it but it's not what Paul's saying Uh, he's saying here you will increase in righteousness and what that literally means is you will increase in right standing with people in other words the best thing the best thing that you can do for the healing of your family is give the best thing that you can do for the healing of the world is give. When you give, you are healing the nations. You release healing power through the generosity of your spirit through the act of giving. Number one, what you've got to do is, is appreciate everything is a gift. But number two, you've got to get a vision for the harvest. And you've got to recognize that my giving is releasing a harvest of righteousness bringing healing to the nations the word talks about wholeness it talks about rightness of standing between people and the idea is the more generous you become the more love the more relationships the more harmony the more togetherness there is in your life as the increase of your generosity grows that's what paul's saying that's, that's a powerful powerful thought folks because how many know there's so much dysfunction in the world there's so much dysfunction in families i mean you know we uh, we heard in that video before about families that have just just you know absolutely uh, obliterated and, and the truth is no one gets married with the intention of getting divorced but it happens all the time no one has children with the you know the intention of you know, thrusting them out on the streets but it happens all the time and no one grows up with their brothers and sisters with the intention of never speaking to them again, but it happens all the time. There is so much dysfunction in society today. 
And I'm suggesting to you that the, 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 according to Paul, the root reason for that is the greed of man's heart. It's not the fact that they're a nuisance. It's not the fact that they don't do. It's your greed and my greed coming together. And we are greedy for things we won't even acknowledge in the lives of, of others. We, we are looking for stuff that, that, we, that we won't even acknowledge to ourselves we're looking for. And it's destroying our world and it's destroying the world. And the only way to deal with it, according to Paul, if you follow the metaphor through to its actual conclusion, is to embrace upon and determine to live a generous life. And as you give, you reap. The reward that you reap is a righteousness or a right standing with people that goes on and on and on. So, so I said three quick things. Number one is see everything that you're able to give. Number two, get a vision for the harvest. Understand that your giving is releasing a harvest of right standing in the world. When you give, you release order. When you give, you release restoration. When you give, you take something that's currency and you turn it into grace. You turn it into something that actually can make a difference in people's lives. If you can start to see it like that, then that's how it comes, becomes joy. That, that, that's how it becomes a pleasure. That's how it becomes, wow, I, I, I can't wait to give. I want to release more joy. I want to release more grace. And, and thirdly, and the last thought is this. Um, see all that you have as a gift. Number two, see, uh, the, have the vision for the harvest. And number three, see who has been given. In verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 9, it says this, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. <laughs> thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We could talk about that all night. What he's talking about here is the gift of Jesus. Did you know Jesus is the only person who was given? He wasn't just born, he was given. For unto us, a child is born for unto us a son is given jesus is the only human being who wasn't just born he was given his indescribable gift you know why giving gifts at christmas is so um, appropriate we don't give gifts to one another any other time of the year do we you know straight day we don't give gifts you know anzac day we don't give gifts but christmas day we all give gifts to our loved ones and it's so appropriate because Jesus is the gift given to mankind to release us from our self-centered greediness. And every Christmas, we kind of practice that. And how many in this room, how many in this room can honestly say that you've experienced that sense of, you know, at Christmas, it's just great. Sometimes at Christmas, the walls go down and we just love on other people for a bit. And then, you know, it sort of goes on and we go back to the way we were. There can be a spirit in the air that, that is a result, I think, of just this generous giving to one another. But, but, but to, to really take joy in that, what I'm suggesting is you've got to see what Paul talks about. Paul saw the gift that was given to us in Jesus Christ as, as uh, indescribable. I cannot describe it to you. It's so wonderful. We should all memorize Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how he will not also, along with, with, uh, uh, how, along with him graciously give us all things. How he will not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. God has given us Jesus. God is not going to hold any good thing back from you if he didn't hold his only son from you. 
We've got to understand the significance, I believe, of, this, uh, of the gift that was given in Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that God could give us was Jesus. The greatest thing Jesus could give us was himself, and he did. The reason I can give, the reason I can move to new levels of giving is because, what has been, because of what has been given. When you see this costly grace that's in Jesus, when we understand what it was for him to go to the cross, we understand what it was for him to be sent from heaven, given from heaven. Heaven was bankrupted for you and for me. When we understand that this was not just some meager, but this was a, uh, an overwhelmingly generous act on behalf of God. You can say, if you've given to the point of the loss of your life, I can give to the point of changing mine. If Jesus gave to the point where his life was lost, then I can give to the point that changes mine. You give and it establishes the church. God knows we've never needed the church in our society more than we've needed it right now. You give and poor people are helped. You give and lost people are told about the fact that they matter to Christ. We, could, we need to turn our eyes from the glamour and the glitz and the striving and the chaos of this world and for just a moment, for just a moment, see the preeminence of Jesus Christ to and for your life. If somebody ran into a, a burning house and rescued you, you'd owe them your life. If you were struggling in the deep ocean uh, that was crashing all around about you and someone appeared and, and were to drag you onto their boat and save you from drowning, you'd owe them your life. There'd be a bond between you and them. You say, man, what could I give you to repay that? I wonder if we see that with God. One of the great problems of living in Western society that is so comfortable and so affluent is that we just see God as, oh, well, you know, maybe we can add him into our world. <laughs> what has he done for me? You know, I, watched, I know it was, it, was, it was humor, but like all good humor that carries a truth in it, I watched Simpsons once, you know, and, and Bart had to say grace and, and, and the, you know, Homer's boss was over and Bart's grace went, well, dad worked hard to earn the money to buy this. Mum worked hard in the kitchen. So I guess it's thanks for nothing, God. And uh, I understand, you know, that he was trying to create a, 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 a joke. But the truth is what Bart Simpson said in that prayer is what a lot of people think in their hearts. I've worked hard for this. And what's God, what have you done for me lately, God. How have you blessed me this week? Well, I, I, I didn't get this and I didn't get that and I didn't get the other thing. And we lose sight of the indescribable gift that is ours in Jesus Christ. When you see what the gift has been, man. And when you understand everything you have is just a gift anyhow. And by giving the gift that's been given to you, you have a role to play in the healing of the nations. Is it any wonder God said he loves? Paul said God loves a cheerful giver. Someone whose heart is in their giving. Someone who gives not out of compulsion. Who gives not out of a sense of, well, I suppose I should. But who gives because they understand what's been given.
But if you get your head around that, that can change forever.